Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The show goes on. This is the official show on the Fish On First podcast channel. I'm Eli Sussman, managing editor of Fish Stripes, where we cover your Miami Marlins every day in our own way. Talking to you during the final moments of 2023 Grapefruit League play as we transition into the regular year and as we transition into this rebranded podcast channel. If you've been subscribed to Fish Traps before, we've had we've been podcasting regularly for over four years now, then you are still subscribed to Fish on First. If for whatever reason uh, you got thrown off in the process, just look for Fish on First wherever you get your podcasts on Apple and Spotify and Google Podcasts, Anchor, and even a lot of these clips and episodes going up on a special YouTube playlist that we have on the Fish Traps YouTube channel, Fish on First. If you enjoy what we're doing here, please rate and review and follow the shows so that you get alerted with every episode. That includes the official show twice a week. That includes audio recordings of our State of the Fish Twitter spaces that can have your call-ins during the process of those shows that we do. Fish Stripes Unfiltered every couple weeks. Fishology every couple weeks. All of that available here on this podcast channel, Fish On First. So... As we head into this season, I'm especially studying several players closely. I've picked out six X-Factors on this Marlins team, either players who are on the opening day roster or who will be significant factors during the course of the long regular season. And I'm going to get into why these players are X-Factors. What is an X-Factor and why it is that these particular guys stood out to me in this process right after this break. An X-Factor, to me, is a volatile player. Somebody whose possible outcomes in performance during this upcoming season have a pretty wide variance. They can be terrible, they can be awesome, they can be anywhere in between. The opposite of an X-Factor, a predictable, a steady player, a reliable player, or a, uh, a struggling player. Like There are certain guys that we already have a very firm idea of what they're going to provide this upcoming year. On the pitching side, of course, Sandy Alcantara stands out. You know he's going to work deep into games. You know he's going to get a lot of soft contact. And even if he's not going to repeat his Cy Young season, he's going to be a top-of-the-rotation kind of arm for this Marlins team. Everything I do, you know, I do with Sandy mentality. 
On the hitting side, a lot of this Marlins offseason was focused on getting kind of boring players and predictable players. Luis Arise being a shining example of that because he's going to get about as many singles as anybody. He's going to play multiple positions if you need him to. Even when he's not getting hits, he's going to put his bat on the ball and make productive outs. So there's a high floor to that player. Also somewhat of a limited ceiling because of what he can't do on the field. And cut from that same cloth, you have Gene Segura. There's a little bit of a question about what his defense is going to look like at third base, given his lack of experience there. But offensively, like Arise, a lot of contact, a lot of contact producing singles, somebody who is probably better than the average player in clutch situations. Those are the examples of boring players that don't apply to this episode. I want to focus on the other ones. And there are really a wide variety of players that could fit in this category, and that's why it is kind of difficult to predict how a team is going to perform overall, because so many individual players can go in one direction or the other, whether it's for health reasons, um, psychological reasons, the way that their opponents adjust to them, any sort of degradation to their skills or improvement in their skills. There's so much that we don't know, even if we cover this team as closely as we possibly can. I've picked out these six players, just a few minutes on each of them. Why it is I'm excited potentially for their upside, why it is that I'm concerned that things could go poorly for them. We begin with the consensus number one prospect in this Marlins organization, Yuri Perez, who is not going to be on the open day roster. He's going to head down to AAA Jacksonville. He could be up in fairly short order. Not just the best prospect in the Marlins organization, in some experts' opinions, the very best pitching prospect in baseball. Such uncommon height and uh, coordination that he has. Such a repeatable delivery at that size with pitch, a really great pitch mix, the potential to have a plus fastball, if not a, a plus plus, a, a great changeup that he's had throughout his pro career. And this slider that he's added to his repertoire in 2022 that has now taken precedent as his primary breaking ball. All of those pitches can get swings and misses. All of them he can throw for strikes. The ninth-ranked prospect in all of big league ball, Yuri Perez takes over for the Marlins here in the top of the sixth inning. Perez with his glove over his head out of the windup, delivers and it swung on and missed. Almonte's down on strikes. That was the changeup from Yuri Perez. It's just an extremely well-rounded pitcher who's been performing well, a sub-3 ERA in his minor league career while facing competition that is five, six, seven years older than him. He's, as of this recording, still just a teenager. We're talking about him as a major league reinforcement in the near-term future, and he's more than a year away from being able to buy his own drink to celebrate. So I am kind of on the same wavelength as most people in terms of what I believe Yuri's upside is. The reason why he's an X-Factor is he doesn't have any major league experience to this point. Recent Major League Baseball, both the Marlins, and if you look around the league, just about every other team, you see, even among great prospects, that it is more or less a coin flip as to whether or not they're actually going to be solid big leaguers as rookies. Highly ranked prospects and ones with the measurables that Yuri has, uh, like all the advantages that he has over a hitter, over the course of his career, I think it is reasonable to assume he's going to be an above-average starting pitcher. Will he be an above-average starting pitcher immediately? Nobody has the faintest clue. And if they do, um, you need to take them less seriously. Especially on the pitching side, it's such a 
it's such a coin flip. It is, you have no idea how exactly they're going to translate from the minors to the majors, even from the upper minors to the majors, the diff- the disparity in talent and game planning in, in other factors is wider than it has been in recent history. So you just don't know until they get a taste of it. And we'll see when Yuri does get a taste of it. Some of it slightly out of his control, depending on how the veterans hold up health-wise and performance-wise during the course of the season. The Marlins, at this point, at least on the starting pitching side, things have gone pretty well from a health perspective. There's no urgency to call him up. I do certainly expect him to make some starts for the Marlins this year, so he could be as good as anybody in the rotation, Sandy included, from the get-go. He really could be. This is the type of talent that we're talking about. However, he could also be out of his elements, and it could prove to be that he actually doesn't help them win games in 2023. It can go either way. He's the one prospect I'm going to feature in this episode. To the total opposite end of the spectrum, somebody who is old enough to be Yuri's father, Johnny Cueto, new Marlins edition, last year with the White Sox, a 118 adjusted ERA in 158 innings pitch. So I'm using that baseball reference, that ERA plus, where 100 is league average. Anything over 100 is better than league average. And he was very good for the White Sox last year, despite signing a minor league deal with them originally. The reasons for excitement is that what he did last year um, still looks like the same guy that he did a year ago. He doesn't throw as hard as he used to during his Cy Young caliber seasons during the prime of his career, but he has an extremely deep and unpredictable pitch mix in the way that he uses it. Even though he didn't miss bats this past year, we'll get to that in a moment, when balls were put in play, it was a very normal result, about a 296 batting average on balls in play. He got these good results uh, over a large quantity of innings, and it, it wasn't necessarily good luck that put it in his favor. He was getting a lot of weak contact. He was playing in front of a defense in Chicago that wasn't particularly highly regarded, maybe a little bit better than the defense he gets here in Miami. We'll see. It was the combination of preventing runs and also going surprisingly deep into games, averaging over six innings per start, and that is a very notable threshold to cross this year. That is not a given when you're talking about starting pitchers these days. So Sandy, uh, Sandy, Johnny Cueto, if he does that again, he'd be second to Sandy in terms of how deep he goes into games. That is an extremely important factor um, for any team, especially one with the Marlins that has some uncertainty in their bullpen at this moment. Uh, He still does his vintage Cueto mannerisms, the shimmy and other variations on his delivery to upset the timing of the hitter so they don't know when the ball is coming out. And from the sample we've seen uh, this spring, he's still able to maintain his command of his pitches even when he varies his delivery. That is so important because it's all for moot if those tweaks, uh, those idiosyncrasies prevent you from actually throwing the ball where you want to throw the ball. That's what has made Cueto such a fun figure to watch through the years is that he's able to execute the same Uh, even when he seems to be off balance. He never truly is. That's the trick of it. What you're worried about? Well, 37 years old, there's been a decline gradually in the quality of his stuff. As I mentioned last year, there was a big decline in the quality of the the quantity of his strikeouts. Cueto just was not missing bats whatsoever last year. 
striking out just 102 batters in those 158 innings, one of the lower strikeout rates in all of baseball, simply put. So one thing is his signature changeup. That was his arguably his best pitch during his prime years. Um, the whiff rate on that pitch has taken a big drop last year, 23% whiff rate on it. His previous career low in any season was a 26%. You rewind before 2022, in those recent seasons with the Giants, he was kind of in the wilderness from both a performance and a health standpoint. Like He was somebody that you just couldn't count on to give you a whole lot of workload or quality during the course of the season. Um, so that's why last year was somewhat of a surprise, because it was the outlier compared to the previous half decade or so of his career. And um, uh, he is at a stage in his career where these players typically decline, and it's more likely to go south than it is to even plateau in terms of your overall performance. His spring training performance was downright awful from what we saw of him. Now, we didn't see all of it. At least one of his starts was on the backfields. He made two starts in the Grapefruit League where he allowed 11 earned runs in just three and two-thirds innings. So that's a 27 ERA. So much hard contact in that sample as well as not, not some cheapies. That being said, he does have a career history of not getting results in spring training. That is not a priority for him. Every pit, pit, like player handles it differently in terms of what their goals are in spring, and clearly he has never prioritized getting those results during these exhibition games. Not much to read into that. Uh, yeah, The bottom line is that the contract that even the Marlins, they were the top bidders to get him, one year, $8.5 million, that is not commensurate with his performance last year. That just shows that even the top bidder for his services is anticipating some sort of drop-off. So that's the biggest tell when you're talking about him as an X-factor is the, the terms that it took to sign him were reflective of a player of weaker performance than the one that he just put up in 2022. Even the Marlins seem to be bracing for him to come down a little bit. Uh, but, but that being said, I just don't want to rule it past the possibility that he actually does maintain his performance, that he continues, despite the drop in fastball velo, to maintain the differential between his pitches and continuing to use them in situations where batters have a tough time anticipating what is coming. So I'm not going to totally rule out the fact that he could be a good starting pitcher in 2023, but we know that the downside is that he doesn't even make it through this season as a major league player. That's We need to be prepared for that wide range of outcomes in his case. Sticking on the starting pitching side, in between these two experience levels, we have Trevor Rogers. Last year, a 74 ERA plus in his 107 major league innings. Reminder, 100 is league average. 74 is very bad. Why we're excited anyway? Because not obviously you go back the year before, 2021, and he looked like he was emerging as one of the very best young left-handers in major league baseball. And even in 2022, we saw a pitcher that has generally very good command. He gets great extension off the mound that allows his effective velocity, his perceived velocity, to be even faster than his actual velocity. He delivers the ball really close to the plate at 6'5", with long strides, and he releases it from this difficult arm slot that also makes it even play greater than the raw quality of his stuff. He looks the part of a really menacing starting pitcher. His fastball, when he throws it up in the zone, it 
has all the characteristics of a great quality pitch in that 2021 season, despite some missed time. He was among the league leaders in strikeouts on his forcing fastball. His changeup pairs very well with that, um, the way that it moves, particularly coming out of that arm slot, it gets so much horizontal break in addition to the typical vertical break that you see on these changeups. The ingredients are still there for Trevor. And he seems to be fully recovered from the lat strain that he had at the end of last season. Health is a big factor too, of course, I'm talking about any pitcher. So the reasons for concern with Trevor, from watching him last year, there was the there was a, the ERA number which was concerning. The fielder independent pitching told uh, a more promising story. It was about over a run difference. They had his fielder independent pitching at 4.35, which is only slightly worse than league average. Just watching him pitch, though, in the most important situations, he just was failing to keep his composure and to execute in those situations. He had such a, a harder time than usual missing bats, putting batters away in those high leverage or you could say medium leverage spots than he seemed to have in 2021 or that you'd normally expect for somebody of his talent level. Like There was just a very obvious problem-solving issue that he was having on the mound. It was leading to a surprising number of these blow-up innings. So to make that go away, there needs to be some adjustment on his part because it was happening again and again and again that when he was getting the second time through an order in particular that he was getting stuck in those outings and not able to give the team length. Last year, 23 starts to get to those 107 innings. That's well below five innings per start from him. If he is going to be better from a run prevention standpoint this year, but not going to go deeper into games, that is still a problem. That is still somebody that you need to look long and hard and think about whether they should even be in your rotation. The going deep into the, these games is going to be of major importance, just as much as it is keeping runs off the board in the first place. One thing we saw last year, really throughout his career, but especially last year, is how his velocity on his fastball faded as games went on. When he's at his best, it's 95, 96. So far this spring, he's averaging just 93.2 miles per hour on his forcing fastball in the pitches that we've actually been able to track. That is about the same as it was last spring. It's a mile per hour lower than it was in 2021, and that was entering his standout rookie season. Uh, so a little bit of concern about whether he has actually put those conditioning questions behind him and to be able to maintain his quality of stuff. He is working on this new sinker, additional pitch in his mix to combine with a four-seamer slider and changeup. He's used it in spring games, but I can't say that we've actually seen anything in particular from it to make it clear that's going to enhance his overall quality of performance. That is still a question mark. It's good that he's he took the initiative to try to add this additional wrinkle to his strategy on the mound. It's still a big question as to whether or not it's going to make a difference one way or another. So to like underline the negatives here, I'm just not sure we're going to see a much different pitcher than we saw last year. His So how much is of his simple turn in luck is going to bring up his results closer to what we expect? And um, is he going to really be doing anything clearly better than he did in the 2022 season? That's still a big wait and see with Trevor. 
So we've seen the upside already with him as a player. And uh, the downside is that if he performs like he did last year, um, I don't think there's going to be room for him on this major league pitching staff. So three down, three to go on these X-Factors for the 2023 seasons. We'll be back with the rest after this break. Still Eli Sussman of Fist Stripes going through my X-Factors for this season. Volatile players with relatively high ceilings, relatively frightening low floors. Players that, frankly, I don't have a great feel for how they're going to perform this year. I could see it going either way. We've covered Yeri Perez. We've covered Johnny Cueto. We've covered Trevor Rogers, And now on the position player's side, Jesus Sanchez. Last season, a 93-weighted runs created plus in 343 plate appearances. Once again, 100 is league average, slightly worse than league average as a hitter. It was bookended by very good production. In early April last year, Jesus was the best player on the team for those first couple weeks. And then when he came back at the very end of the year from AAA, he was... Again, very productive at the plate. In between, it was a big wreck. Uh, so we'll get to that wreck in just a few moments. Staying on the positives, from this spring, he had very good quality of at-bats. Anyway, you slice it, he um, it was impressive to see him uh, at the plate this spring. Uh, the results were slightly better than, well, on a team that had very few standout offensive performers. He hit over 300. Let me take a look at this full slash line here. 302, a 333 on base, 419 slugging. It's not really that sexy in a small sample. He also stole three bases, and I'll get to the other side of that equation pretty shortly soon. I have the most to say on Sanchez for a player that has shown such immense promise. In the game power department, he has as much game power as anybody on this team. That is saying a lot because there are some big mashers on this Marlins roster. And Sanchez, you'll remember, hit the longest home run of any Marlins player in 2022. And really, in both seasons, both of his mostly full years in 2021 and 2022, he's had a handful of these no-doubter homers in several and very high-leverage situations. So he has that potential. He has enough in there that our own Isaac Azud made it a bold prediction that Jesus will hit 40 home runs this year. Very bold, in my opinion. What we've seen is that he hits relatively well against righties, right-handed pitching. For his career, a 110 WRC plus against righties. You put him in a platoon situation. I know that Peter Pratt of Locked On Marlins has called for this very specifically. They should just put him in those situations all the time and protect him as a platoon player for the lefty-hitting Sanchez. He's been good at that in the past. Uh, the hot spurts early in 2022. We saw this in, I think, August of 2021. Yeah, when he is hot, he is a run producer with tremendous potential. In the outfield, even, he has a very strong throwing arm um, on a team, uh, again, that has several guys that have strong throwing arms, but his sticks out. So that's just another tool that he brings to the skill set. And he's, he's still relatively young, just 25 years old, If think, just still pre-arbitration eligible. If things really work out for him, then this is the type of player that if he reaches his ceiling, he's a building block. He's an extension candidate. There is all that in Sanchez. Why you're worried? Fundamentally, he is a very aggravating player to watch. So despite the arm strength that he has, um, his defense is 
I guess I would call it erratic. Now, the Marlins put him in a very bad spot last year. They made him their everyday center fielder coming out early in the season and made it more than halfway through the 2022 season before they finally um, took the L on that decision. Um, I thought that was unreasonable expectation for him. And the problem is that even in the corner spots, you just see this decision-making that scratches your head in terms of throwing to the right bases, hitting cutoff guys, um, the routes that he takes the balls are also, you know, very questionable. What he does well defensively, I guess, is the timing of his jumps, and then his top-end sprint speed is above average. It's just the little things that cause him to misplay some catchable balls and to turn some slight um, mistakes into extra base mistakes. Most mem- memorably last year was the inside-the-park home run that he allowed at Tropicana Field. And the first pitch, a liner off the bat of Kiermaier, and a diving attempt by Sanchez, going to go all the way to the wall. He's got a chance to circle him. On his way to third, he's going to get the green light, and the throw to the plate is not in time. First pitch, bottom of the first, Kiermaier, an inside-the-park home run. Could you have set it up any better? Go after the first pitch, aggressive. Jesus Sanchez, he gave himself a shot. Once it got by him, I think everybody was standing. This also applies on the base paths as a base runner. For somebody with his athleticism, it is uh, surprising that over the course now of parts of three major league seasons, overall uh, 172 games, he has one stolen base. One stolen base for Sanchez in all that time and only two attempts. So it goes beyond that. He makes outs on the bases as well. Those things are more difficult to quantify, but baseball reference has the stat called outs on the bases in in terms of advancing on live balls, making unforced mistakes when they're not steal attempts. And he led the team last year with six outs on the bases. That's despite not spending the whole year in the majors and not getting on base a ton in the first place. So it's these little things that really drag at his value. Even if he unleashes the best version of himself at the plate, these other areas are going to drag down his overall contribution to the team. The most important thing is going to be that contribution at the plate. His performance against lefties is about as bad this past season as any single season that you'll ever see. Um, Just a hard time recognizing anything out of the lefties' hands and getting himself into bad counts. He there's a lot of swing and miss even at pitches in the zone for Sanchez. There's like there's very limited windows he has where he can truly make solid contact on it. We've already talked about the quality of that contact is pretty awesome on the high end. Everything in between though is is not helping the team win very much. So at this point in his career, I think you can already move on from the idea of him as a center field option. He is a very, it was a big storyline last year that he had only one minor league option remaining and the Marlins were stalling as long as they can not to use it and they finally just had to do it. And that leaves him without any options moving forward. They cannot send him down to the minors unless he clears waivers. And if he clears waivers, that would just show you how far his value has fallen as a player um, from what it used to be when he was kind of a borderline top 100 MLB prospect with him. Uh, The question is whether he's going to just get on base enough to justify some of the other deficiencies in his game, and maybe there is an opportunity for him to address some of those fundamental flaws. 
unfortunately, I'm skeptical about that part, about the fundamentals part, because this is a player who has now been in professional baseball for close to nine years. Uh, so I don't know how much you really changed this deep into your pro career in terms of picking up the, the little details of the game and being able to like take advantage of them. Um, I still do see the upside in the the run production department. That could still be there. And the way that this Marlins roster is constructed, he doesn't have to take very many, if any, at-bats whatsoever against lefty pitching. Surrounded by Jorge Soler, Brian De La Cruz, and Avisiel Garcia, who we'll get to shortly, um, there are platoon possibilities right here that could bring the best out of everybody involved. So Jesus Sanchez, big X-factor for the Marlins this year. Number five on my list here, Edward Cabrera. Last year's performance in the majors, extremely exhilarating. A 135 ERA plus in his 72 healthy innings. Those coming in June, and then he came back in August and September. Missed time before that, missed time in between that. The The excitement is um, it's pretty easy to convey. He is nasty. He is this comp has been made. He is Sandy Alcantara level nasty. There's some common threads there in terms of the quality of their pitches. It's a high 90s fastball that hasn't touched 100 in a real game yet, but I've seen it happen before earlier in his pro career. And he has the changeup working off of that. Just such a unique pitch with fastball velocity, but also with that very sudden movement dropping below the barrel of the bat as it gets to the zone. He's had a good slider for a while, and what I saw last year, even before he joined the big league staff again, was the improvement in his curveball and the way that he was utilizing it to steal strikes instead of relying only on swing and miss and soft contact. He used his curve. Um, It was especially on display in his final spring start where he went up against a stacked Cardinals lineup, and he left the mound in the sixth inning without allowing a run before one inherited runner finally scored. You've seen it just now on a handful of occasions where he has these individual outings that he looks unhittable. Not just in spring, but we saw last year uh, there was that Rockies game. I think there was a Phillies game last year. Um, Several others that are not even coming to mind where he just looks uh, amazing. He looks overpowering. The quality of the stuff is absolutely there, and the Depth of the pitch mix is, uh, again, a very big key. That is something that I prioritize a lot in evaluating pitchers is how many different directions they can go against both lefties and righties to get their desired results in a key situation. Edward, last year, even we saw a nice step forward in terms of working deep into games as well. That is going to be very important. For concern, though, there are a lot of different angles that I could go to here, the main one being his questionable durability. Throughout his major league his professional career now, there have been a handful of injured list stints. There was, last year, it was, let me make sure I have this right, I think it was tendinitis that kept him out for close to two months. Uh, Then there was a spring training prior to that where he had that nerve issue in his biceps Um, and earlier in his minor league career. Nothing severe, but just a handful of instances that limit him is the workload that he's been able to build up. He's had blister issues multiple times in his career. He had to leave his final start of the 2022 season with a small injury situation. Because of that, this season, I think realistically, 
I don't see him making 32 starts, even if everything goes well. They need to have his uh, somewhat of a workload limit in mind just because he hasn't come close to being that kind of player to this point. And given his past, in- past his injuries are often the most uh, biggest factor in predicting future injuries for somebody like him. I continue to be very annoyed by his fastball usage, um, the lack of conviction that he has in his fastball. So his changeup, to be fair, can act like a fastball because of how hard he throws it. Still, it's important to have a, a four-seamer in your pitch mix that to pair with that as well, to bring out the very best in both the changeup and everything else that he has, and especially to get ahead in counts. So even when he was having success last year, that 135 ERA plus, a raw ERA right around three, um, he was doing it despite getting falling behind in counts nearly half the time. He just was not throwing first pitch strikes. Typically, for a lot of pitchers, the fastball is the pitch that they trust the most to get them ahead in the count or to get them back into account when they're behind. With Edward, he just does not have conviction in that pitch, and I think that's why he uses it about as little as any starting pitcher in baseball, throwing his fastball only a third of the time, believe it or not, out of all of his total pitches. Uh, without having more conviction in that pitch, without being able to trust it, to command it when you need a called strike in a certain situation, if he's relying too much on that curveball of his to get him back into counts, um, I, I just think he's going to be inefficient, and he's going to put on more free base runners than you'd like to. So just generally, I think his control is a big question mark. It's why, even though he has this upside of being top of the rotation starting pitcher, I feel very earnestly that there is a risk of Cabrera being a relief arm in the near future. He's had some success now in the big leagues. It's been the reverse Trevor, where the underlying stats, even last year, were not as flattering as the raw quality of stuff and the raw ERA. He was putting on too many free base runners, 33 walks in those 72 innings. He was allowing too many home runs at times, which is, that is very un-Sandy-like for everybody that likes to draw the parallels, is that that's been a very key difference between him that he needs to get uh, ironed out. So, um, he fits right in here with these other pitchers that we covered, and I think his his floor is maybe a little bit higher than, than Trevor's, just because he's not going to allow... You don't think that he's going to allow a high volume of total hits, but I'm still worried about the extra base hits, and I'm worried about the walks, and I'm worried about him staying healthy as well. So the upside is is pretty great. Um, I would not be surprised if he does have the best year of his career to this point, if he asserts himself as the number two guy in this Marlins rotation. I'm just saying that there is some variance with Edward Cabrera looking to this upcoming season. We're going to finish off number six, Avasail Garcia. A disastrous Marlins debut in 2022, a 66 WRC plus in his 380 plate appearances. The most uh, easiest starting point when it comes to the glass half full with Avi is that we've seen this before. We've seen him have bad years and they've been bookended by good years. One year bad, one year good, dating back to 2016. That's been the trend alternating between below average hitting and above average hitting in each of those years. So if that trend continues, then coming off a bad year isn't such a worrisome thing. 
he is even just a half tick above Sanchez in the raw power department. His peak exit velocities are tremendous. As long as he gets the ball a little bit elevated, he's going to get better than most results on balls in play. First career, a 323 batting average on balls in play. And now that you have some shift restrictions, I think he can benefit from that even uh, a little bit more. He uh, reported to camp this year in much better shape than he did last year. That was noticeable from the get-go. That was noticeable at the very beginning of the offseason. This has been uh, a process ever since he hurt his hamstring late in the 2022 season. He knew that he had to lose weight. Um, The exact number uh, escapes me. Was it maybe 20, 25 pounds down from where he was at the same time a year ago? So both in a physical state and a psychological state, he seems... uh, in optimal form you know if he's not going to succeed now he's putting himself in the best situation i should say to bounce back from his disappointing campaign a year ago why i'm worried the reason why he was ineffective in 2022 it had very little to do with his weight he was still moving around pretty well as a defender and as a base runner um the problem was his swing decisions he was right near the top of the league in chasing pitches outside the zone nearly half of all pitches thrown to Avisiel Garcia that were outside the strike zone, he swung at. That is not how that is supposed to work. You want your chase rate to be below 30%, certainly. So that put him naturally in bad counts. That led to a lot of strikeouts. His strikeout rate last year, 28.7%. That was a career worst in that category for him. And his walk rate, 4.5%. That was his worst in 10 years. You have a very limited margin of error to succeed as a offensive player if you're striking out that much and you're walking that much the way that he was. I don't know exactly how that suddenly flips from one year to another, but um, that's going to be his challenge this upcoming year. That's the main thing. Based on spring training, the eye test and the stats themselves, it's looks a lot like the 2022 regular season version of Avi struck out in about 40% of his plate appearances this spring. So we, even though the results on as a hitter take a much larger sample to normalize, things like strikeout rate and walk rate may be a little bit more um, indicative of who you're going to be when you just look at the spring games. Struck out 15 times in 50, no, I'm looking at the wrong line, 20 times in 50 plate appearances, right? 40% on the dot and only true one walk. You may remember he was hot at the very start of spring training in that first week, and then ever since then, completely non-productive. So he is not taking any momentum whatsoever into the regular season. The Marlins had him playing quite a bit of left field in spring training. That is not a position that he's played during meaningful games since like 2016, 2013. Do I have that right? What year? He's played very, very little left field in recent years during big league games, and he basically split time between left and right this spring training. Different angles when you play an unfamiliar spot like that. Um, it's a less demanding position from an, a throwing perspective at Lone Depot Park, and uh, now that I think about it, um, left field is slightly more ground to cover, though, than it is in right field in home games. Uh, either way, I think that's interesting um, that they're going to play him so much, well, that they intend to use him during real games in a position that he hasn't played in real games 
in quite a while with Avi Garcia. Uh, the other reason for concern is not even in his control, but because of the contract that he signed um, and the fact that if he struggles, you know, that the team is in a position where they won't be able to get anything in return for him. They're stuck with him, at least for this year, it sure seems like. So they, even in a situation where it's clear that he's um, not performing, um, they're putting, they've put themselves into the spot where uh, they may play him even when he's, it's not justified. They may play him, they may put him in a position to be somewhat of a scapegoat for their struggles uh, if it comes to that. Uh, I, I touched on the other side with Jesus Sanchez, um, the fact that it's a platoon possibility for him. Um, I think that'd be the best for all involved if they'd be willing, really from the start of the season, honestly, to look at Avi as something less than an everyday player and just focus on putting him in the most favorable matchups possible to get kind of the results that you're looking for before, you know, putting too much on his plate again. So is he going to be the player that he was in 2021? That convinced the Marlins to invest $53 million in him, the year where he hit nearly 30 home runs. He didn't hit 30, Kim, but he hit nearly 30 that year, in addition to fairly good defense and some good durability. Or um, is he somebody that this trend could abruptly end? Is he now in decline, the 31-year-old turning 32 in the middle of the year? Has he been figured out? Is there an adjustment for him to make at this point of his career to get him back on track? Or is is he going to go down as yet another inefficient free agent signing for this Marlins team? Somewhere in the middle, maybe, where you can count on him for a key extra base hit, but still limited in the on-base department and something less of an everyday player. Um, it's, it's important for the Marlins for him to be something better than replacement level, that's for sure. Um I find myself kind of on the skeptical side in terms of a full-on Garcia bounce back. That's why we play the games. That's why I spent 40-plus minutes talking about this topic. Yeri Perez, Johnny Cueto, Trevor Rogers, Jesus Sanchez, Edward Cabrera, Avisail Garcia. Those are my X-factors for this Marlins team. Um, if, all, if they all struggle, then this Marlins team will fall short of its goals. If they all or on the higher end of possible outcomes, then this is a team that you can dream about. Challenging for 500 or even better than that. Most likely, you're going to have some hits and some misses in this group. Um, and uh, I, I'm struggling to even muster a guess with in most of their cases. I think they really could go either way in terms of bouncing back who they used to be, potentially having career years in some areas, or um, just not being very helpful whatsoever. That's why they're here, and that's why this Marlins team is in a very fascinating spot. So I'd love to hear who who your X-Factors are, the players that you're having the most difficult time getting a handle on for the 2023 season. Those are mine. Eli Sussman, Fish Stripes Managing Editor, here on Fish on First. Please subscribe to the pod if you don't already. Uh, a huge season ahead and we're gonna have one more episode of the official show out before opening day hope you tune in for that one as well thanks for your support and go fish